Uh, This morning we're going to continue on in our uh, very short sort of series looking at our different statements of faith that we as a church believe. And this morning we're going to be looking at our statement of faith on salvation. Very good. Let's, Let's pray before we come to the word. Lord, we just thank you this morning for your spirit. We thank you for your spirit which is among us and which is speaking to us. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit will speak through your word this morning, that it will open this word up to us and make it come alive. Lord, I just thank you for every person that is here this morning and I pray that your word will speak to each and every one of us in some way. Lord, may we know you a little bit better by the end of this message. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Lisa and I were uh, youth group leaders uh, a a year or two back now and when we were leading the youth group, one of the most memorable and well-received studies that we undertook was called Through the Bible in 12 Weeks. So as the title suggests, it's sort of like a little whirlwind tour of the Bible and it was an overview of what the Bible was all about and it was quite an awesome little study. It... um, It was very engaging to the youth. It had a whole lot of little engaging studies um, and illustrations and activities and they tied in very well with what the message was about. But more than that, the study was extremely well written. The aim of the study was to demonstrate how God's big picture or God's big story is revealed throughout the entire Bible. It's one continuous story. And there is the central theme running through the Bible. And that's the theme of God's relationship and his dealings with mankind. And of course the central issue of that is the issue of salvation. How can man be saved? How can I know God? The Bible starts with Genesis and talks about creation. And then immediately right at the beginning of the of the Bible we have the fall and then from there on it's the central thing that we're looking towards is Jesus. One of the main aspirations of the study was to show the youth how they are personally part of God's big story. How did they fit in? How do I fit in with what God is showing through his word? And it taught them that their roots go all the way back to creation and it also taught them how their future is in the new creation and in the new earth that God is creating. Everything pointed to Christ. As we come to our church's statement of faith on salvation, we will explore that script, what scripture tells us about salvation. So here's our statement of faith. Um, probably the other little disclaimer I have to make this morning, the, the PowerPoint, there's like two slides on it, so it's pretty basic this morning. Um, now, as you would expect, this statement about salvation is similar to what other churches and what other church organisations believe in. So this is what we believe about the salvation of man. We believe that the salvation of man, who is sinful and lost, is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit when the repentant sinner responds to the word in faith. 
This salvation is wholly of God, by grace, on the basis of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, the merit of his shed blood, and not on the basis of human merit or works. All the redeemed are kept by God's power and are thus secure in Christ forever. So first of all we see that mankind needs salvation. Man is sinful and lost. And I pose a question to you this morning. Are you a good person? Now some of you will be familiar with the good person test. The good person test is a method of sharing the gospel with those who do not know or have not heard about Jesus or about the good news of Jesus. And it's typically used in a street corner scenario. And you may well have seen um, video clips of Ray Comfort and um, I keep thinking Michael J. Fox, but it's not. It's Kirk Cameron. It'd probably be good if they enrolled Michael J. Fox, but Kirk Cameron um, as well. So there's Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron. And they use this method of evangelism in California. And you see them approaching people and they sort of talk to them in an interview way and they question them. And the idea is to get them thinking about, uh, about Christ and, and what the gospel actually uh, is all about. Now I know people in our church have used this method of evangelism. The basic premise of the good person test is to ask someone, are you a good person? And of course most people, and particularly here in New Zealand, most of us say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really that bad. I am a good person. The test is then put to them and what the test is is it it focuses on the Ten Commandments and it asks them questions on the Ten Commandments. For instance, have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, you know, everybody lies to some degree or bends the truth. Everybody does it. Well, then you've broken one of God's commandments and you're technically a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Even if it's just something minor from work that you've taken home that you shouldn't have. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, you got me there. I I probably have done that occasionally. Well, then you've broken one of God's commandments and you're technically a thief. And then one of the other things they put to them, they say, well, the Bible says you shall not commit adultery. Well, that's easy. I've been married for about 30 years and I know I've been faithful to my wife. So that's not me. But then they put to the person, well, the Bible also says that if you look at someone who's not your husband or your wife, uh, with lust in your mind or your heart, even if it's on TV or something like that, you are committing adultery in your heart. Yeah, okay. And, and, And it goes on like this. It also talks about Bless me, have you ever used the name of the Lord in vain? And, and, and that. So and that's just four of the commandments of the ten. So there's a couple of things that this test or this thing highlights to us. First of all, we have all sinned. It highlights that to us, that all of us, even though we think we are a really good person, we still have sin, we still do things that are wrong. And secondly, it highlights to us that the standard 
that our goodness or our badness is rated on is not our own standard or the standard of our society or our culture and it's certainly not a standard of where we just compare ourselves with other people. You know, we compare to ourselves to really bad people. You know, I, I may not quite be Mother Teresa but I know I'm not as bad as Charles Manson. It's that sort of thing. No, what the standard is, what God's standard is, is the standard that we are measured against a completely holy and righteous God, a God who cannot abide any sin. Therefore, it's that sin which keeps us separated from God and it's that sin that keeps us out of heaven. Of course, the good person tests the the way that they do it. It doesn't end there. It goes on to bring hope and a solution to the sin problem. It presents the gospel. It presents the good news of salvation and it says that it is there at hand. It's a bit like Romans 3. We quite often hear and we quote Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And of course when we look at that word all, the word all is all encompassing. It's every one of us. No matter how good we think we are, no matter how good our family and our friends think we are, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But then Romans 3.23 goes on and it says to us, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, and that word propitiation means an appeasement of God's anger against sin, as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There is good news to the sin problem. We can be redeemed because of God's grace. Jesus has by his death on the cross delivered us from God's wrath and because of Jesus the person who has faith in him has been justified. It's just as if they had never sinned. Now we'll revisit some of these things soon. But looking back at the good person test, what it has highlighted to me is that when we talk about salvation, we need to also understand why we need to be saved. What have we been saved from? Also when we share the gospel, when we share with other people, we need to communicate that to the people that we are sharing with. They need to know what they have been saved from. And this is the first part of our belief statement. We believe in the salvation of man who is sinful and lost. Now Paul points out this condition in his letter to Romans uh, that all of mankind is naturally under the guilt of sin and the power of sin. This sin leads to death. Along with that, God hates sin and as such we are faced with God's wrath because of our sinfulness. 
We are separated from God and that's why we need salvation. That's why we need to be saved. So let's just take a quick look at some of the verses in Romans that highlight this point. Um, We will move pretty quickly through these verses. There's a few there. Um, I put on the thing there that we've got various verses, uh, various scriptures, but I I might as well just about have put Romans because as you see there's a lot of scripture coming from Romans in today's message. The first is Romans 3.9. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. So all of us fall in that category. We are all under the power of sin. Romans 3.19 Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. So we're just showing there that how the law, or what the law does for us, it shows us that we don't have an excuse because it tells us what God expects. But more than that, it also demonstrates to us that we are all guilty before God. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, so sin leads to death. But listen to this, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So our sin leads to spiritual death, but by the grace of God, through Jesus, we can have eternal life. And Romans 1 verses 18 to 19. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So without salvation, we find that we are under God's wrath. So there we have some of the consequences of our sinfulness and why we need God's gift of salvation. Let's take a look at what this salvation looks like. So let's look at the, first of all we're going to look at the fact that we are saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is quite quite interesting. It's talking about being born again. In John 3, one of the most interesting and well-known discussions in scripture is the meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus where Jesus explains to Nicodemus the need to be born again. And we can read about that in John 3. Verses 3 to 7. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now this act of being born again, we have a a number of terms for it. Uh, It is also known as regeneration and we see that in the scripture of Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 5. But when the kindness and the love of God our Saviour toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. These two scriptures bring out the necessity of being born of the Spirit. Now being born of the Spirit is Christian terminology and it means the same thing as being born again. Um, It's also the same as new birth or as we saw there in Titus, regeneration. And this new birth is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of God. It is not something that we can produce ourselves. To be born again is necessary. As pointed out to Nicodemus, if you are not born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's a no-go zone. When we read John 3, we are also reminded of Ezekiel's picture of God cleansing the people of Israel from sin by water and he gives them a new heart by placing his spirit within them. That's found in Ezekiel 36. Uh, Ezekiel 36 verses 25 to 26. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And it's the same when we are born again. God places his spirit within us and in doing so he changes the very heart of our being, our desires, our purpose, our actions are now towards him. We respond to God. Our desire is to follow him. We want to obey him. We become heirs according to the hope of eternal life and we enter the kingdom of God. We come alive in Christ. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10, we won't have time to read that this morning, but that highlights all of those things. So how does this happen? How is it possible that the Spirit can come to be within us? And Jesus anticipates Nicodemus asking the same question. 
Reading on in John 3. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So while we can't totally understand how this regeneration process happens, it does happen. We know that God can place his Spirit within us. Jesus points out that it is only the Holy Spirit that can make it happen. It is a work of God. As we read on through our statement of faith, we find that salvation is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit when the repentant sinner responds to the word in faith. So not only are we saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, we also need repentance and faith. Let's turn to Romans 10 again. Uh, Romans 10 verses 8 to 10 says this. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there we see that we need to have belief and we also need confession. So we need to repent before the Lord and confess who he is. Acts 2 verse 38 and this is Peter, he's been speaking at the, um, at, on, during the day of Pentecost and this is what he says to the crowd when they cry out to him, what should we do? Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And again in Luke 24, verse 7. It is also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. So repentance and faith play a big part in salvation. The Holy Spirit comes upon the unsaved sinner and their natural response is to repent to their sin and place their faith in Christ. And we find that the two go hand in hand, repentance and faith. Now the repentance makes a lot of sense when we are confronted with a holy and righteous God. It's that good person test. We previously graded ourselves against the human standard. When we come to the realisation of God and his holiness, we suddenly realise that we don't make the grade. We don't even come close. 
A simplified definition of repentance is that we are sorry for the sin that we have committed and that we turn from that sin and walk towards God. The repentance that we're talking about here is actually quite radical. It's a complete change in mindset, in lifestyle, in our motives, in our purpose, in our choices. It's a complete inward change and because of that it should be outwardly obvious. Now of course as long as we are in these earthly bodies we are always dogged by sin and we continually need to come to God in repentance. Revelation, one of the things that Revelation taught us was that Satan will attack us through several different ways. He will attack us through persecution but not only that, he will attack us through trying to convince us that we need to assimilate with the world around us. Repentance is a fruit of the faith as well, so we can think of it as being a fruit of faith. To be saved, we need to repent. And if we don't repent, then we really don't have faith. You can't have it both ways. You can't turn to God and believe, but then also refuse to have him as the Lord of your life. It just doesn't work that way. And of course, faith is a big part of our salvation as well. The sort of go-to scripture for a definition on faith is Hebrews 11. Uh, Hebrews 11 verse 1. And there's some good words in here. There's the words confidence and assurance. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So we're not just talking about some sort of wishy-washy hope or desire that we may have. It's, it's stronger than that. It's, it's having confidence in what we hope for and an assurance in what we do not see. And when we are putting our trust and our hope and our faith into God, it's a God that we cannot see. And some of the beliefs that we are now trusting in and believing in, they're pretty hard to pin down with evidence. Here's just a couple of the things that when we, we are saved that we are, we are sort of believing in and trusting in. First one is that God is for real. He's not just some theory or some myth or some legend or some imaginary friend who helps us through the day. No, God is for real. So everything that the word tells us about him is for real. Also, another thing that we believe in is that God sent his son Christ into the world. So he sent God became human. And of course we've got all the virgin birth thing around that as well and we've got that whole concept. Also, Christ died on the cross. And he died on the cross for our sins. So he wasn't just a man who was martyred for his cause. He, when he died on the cross, he bore the sins of all of us. And the reason God did that was because God had a great love for the lost. Another thing that we believe in is that Christ rose from the dead, which gives us our hope for eternal life. So not only do we now believe that these things are historical, physical events, but our confidence and our assurance is in the implications of what these things mean 
for us. And of course the Holy Spirit brings that faith to life. And you can understand how those without the Spirit of God upon them, they just don't get it. They just don't understand why we believe in what we believe in. Uh, most of you here would know Stan Walker and Stan Walker was, I, I was just watching a news program the other night and Stan Walker was on the news program as one of the hosts and they gave him an opportunity to share about his faith. So he, and I was actually quite surprised, he actually spoke about it for, for several minutes and he was very open about the fact that he was a Christian, that he believed in God, that God did something in his life and that he was changed and and all these things. And it was quite amazing. And I, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll go and take a look at what the feedback online is on this because I, I can just imagine everybody's just going to go boo, boo, boo. And and sure enough, there was people who just don't understand it. You know, they were saying things like, oh, this is why you don't do drugs and um, all sorts of things that they were putting it down to and believing in imaginary friends. I was actually quite surprised. There was a lot of people who got onto on this feed that I saw anyway, who actually supported him and said, good on you. Praise God and, and just all those sorts of things. So there was quite a good mix. But you can understand why people don't understand what we believe in. But that is what faith is. It's the Holy Spirit has come upon us and has brought those things to life to us. Now probably one of the main overarching factors of salvation is that we are saved wholly by God's grace. Without God's grace, none of this would happen. It's because of the grace that God loves and reaches out to, his, to the lost. And in his grace, he sent his son. So without God's grace, he wouldn't have sent his son. And our repentance and our faith would not mean a thing. So the whole overarching thing about salvation is that it is entirely in God's grace. It is God who reaches out. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. Here's God coming to share it with us now. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now there are five slogans that came out of the Christian Reformation of the 16th century. Um, what the Reformation was, if, if, if you're not familiar with it, um, it, it was came about in the 16th century. The church had moved quite a fair way for, away from Jesus' teachings and the teachings of the early church. So the, the Reformation sought to redirect the church of the day back to the teachings of Jesus and the early church. And it is quite a major event of church history. And out of that came what's called the five solar statements and there are five statements of what the church believes and our, our statements of faith are also based on these. 
So on, on our lectern here we have one of those, um, Soli Deo Gloria. And of course um, that's not English, it's Latin. And what it means is to the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of God alone. And that's a great statement for us to have up here and for us to remind ourselves. We live for God's glory. Uh, another one is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. So the Bible alone is our highest authority. And a few weeks back, Dave shared with us about scripture and, and how it is our highest authority. Now, that's two of the five solas, and even though they indirectly relate to what we're talking about today, there are three others that are directly relevant to today's message. Sola fide, uh, you'll have to excuse my English, sola fide, faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ, and that's just what we've been talking about. Another one is sola gratia, gratia, grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. You know, this is the key point when we look at the topic of our salvation. Right throughout scripture, and you, you probably would have picked it up in the scriptures that we've shared already, and you'll see it right through every time we come to a different topic, we always hear the words, the gift of God, the grace of God, God's mercy. Right throughout scripture, in every instance of God saving someone, it is all wrapped up in the grace of God. We are saved by the grace of God alone. It is not because of our goodness. It is nothing to do with our merit. We cannot register enough credits with NZQA to earn the qualification of salvation. It just can't be done. Most of us, I think, who are in the working field today know that we just about have to rack up heaps of credits on NZQA to sweep the floor and do just about anything in our job. But we can't do it with salvation. There is not enough things that we can earn, do in our own strength. That word holy, which makes up this part of today's statement of faith, is there purposely. Salvation is entirely by God's grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. One of the things that sets Christianity apart from other religions and theologies is that we cannot earn our salvation through any of our own works. That's why things like the good person test can show the folly of our mindsets when it comes to God, heaven, salvation and religion. You know, we hear things like, I'm not good enough to be a Christian, I'm not good enough to earn God's favour. Well, just take a look around here. We're all in the same boat. We are all here only by God's grace. One of the other things we hear is that Christianity is all about doing good. It's all about following the rules, not doing any of the naughty stuff. No, that's not what salvation is based on. 
We can't earn it through our actions and it's not even maintained by our actions alone. Of course it doesn't mean that we can do whatever we like and we know that when the Spirit of God gets hold of us we have a new heart and a new desire that is placed within us. It's a desire to know and obey God. The things that are outside of God's will become really evident and we'll have trouble growing in God if we are running towards those things that are outside of his will. Our salvation and our ongoing salvation are holy by the grace of God, not by our works or by merit. And the good news is that God's grace is immensely abundant. It's there for everyone. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, the last solar statement that came out of the Reformation is solus Christus, Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, our Saviour and our King. Our salvation is only possible through Jesus Christ. We spoke earlier about how mankind is lost because of sin. In Genesis 3 we can read the account of the fall of mankind. This is the account of Adam and Eve's defiance towards God. And the consequence of their defiance was that sin and death entered the world and the close relationship that they had with God was gone. Romans 5, here's that Romans again, Romans 5 gives us the contrast between two men, between Adam through whom sin and death entered and the world and sorry, Adam who through whom sin and death entered the world and the contrast with Jesus Christ who is God's gift. He triumphed over sin and death. This is Romans 5 verses 15 to 17. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins but the sin of this one man Adam caused death to rule over many but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man Jesus Christ. Right, we'll come to our time of communion. Can those who are serving please come forward? Will you have one more volunteer, please? That was the half job that I did.
see why I'm not allowed to fold things up at home. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get off that easy, sunshine. (laughs) One of the key words that we think of when we come and think of Jesus Christ is the word redemption. Now, redemption is the word that is used to describe what Christ has done for us on the cross. And of course, um, if we go back into the Greek word uh, for redemption or the Greek word for redeem, we find that they are derived from a word that translates as a ransom or a price of release. So this word was used in in the ancient world in relation to the purchase of a slave. And of course, when we think of sin, we can see that we are slaves to sin. And that's what Christ has done on the cross. He has redeemed us. He paid that ransom and he paid that price of release from slavery to sin. He paid for our sins. And what was the price of that redemption? Well, the price was really high. It was the precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God. It was a broken body. It was his broken body and it was his shed blood. And that is what we are here to remember and what we are here to focus on this morning as we partake in this table. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of of his grace. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. The last part of our statement of faith talks about our great hope, that is that we will remain in Christ forever. All the redeemed are kept by God's power and are thus secure in Christ forever. As we know, God's great story did not end with Christ dying on the cross the Bible doesn't end at that point Jesus was not just a great man who lived and was martyred for his cause end of story no Christ rose from the dead he was the firstborn from the dead and is alive forevermore and that gives us that great hope of not only eternal life but also that we will never ever be separated from God again. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he wrote to the Thessalonians and he talked to them about how Christ is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And because of this, all believers will be raised up and will be with him forever. And of course, this was one of the themes that constantly came through our study of Revelation. We had those visions of Christ overcoming evil, sin and death, once and for all. God wins. 
then he reigns forever with everyone who belongs to him. Now one of the little struggles that I from time to time have is that I find myself going off in this mindset of three score and ten years. You know, looking at things with the mentality of my life expectancy and how in my time I can get my world around me. I had this a similar sort of um, situation happen the other day. Uh, just a couple of weeks back, Lisa and I were, were down in the Wellington region and I um, purchased this, this ticket and it's a ticket to ride anywhere I want in Wellington. I thought, this is fantastic. For one day I can catch any bus, any train, I can go all over the place. So I got on the train and I thought I was just the bee's knees with this thing. I had it there ready to go and the conductor was coming down through the train. And you know there was all these older people there. (laughs) And they would flash and show off their gold cards. And it was a hard case. The conductor was coming down the train and there was this little flash of gold going on. conductor would move on. Mutter, 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 $20. <laughs> but then I realised, hey, I only have to wait about another 15 years <laughs> and I can have one of those gold cards. But then that started to make me think, Man, 15 years isn't a long time, is it? And I started thinking about what I've done in my life, the things I hadn't done, the things I want to do before I retire, what I'm going to do when I retire. I'll tell you one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to get my gold card, I'm going down to Wellington <laughs> for five days and I'm going to go all over the place. I obviously lead a very sad and uh, sheltered existence. But that's the thing, isn't it? Sometimes we just live in this mentality and we forget the bigger picture that God has. We have the whole of eternity before us. And we need to remind ourselves sometimes that there is a bigger picture. There's more out there than the elusive gold card. Philippians 3.20 is, is a scripture that reminds us of that. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. This morning I'm just going to finish with yet another scripture from Romans. And this scripture encourages us about the permanence of our salvation. And it's found in Romans 8 and it's verses 38 to 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries 
about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your awesome, awesome grace. That Lord, that you loved us, that you loved the lost. That Lord, you reached out your hand, that you sent your son to die for us. And Lord, we just thank you and we just praise you for that this morning. Lord, we just pray that your word this morning will speak to us, will encourage us, will encourage us in our salvation, will speak to those who do not follow you as yet. Lord, may your Holy Spirit come alive in them as well, Lord. May they come to this place of repentance and faith. And Lord, we just also just pray that when we come to share your good news with others, that, Lord, that you will bring all of these things to mind. And, Lord, there is a lot more scripture in the Bible about salvation. Lord, may we seek to find all of that stuff as we go about our own studies and our own uh, thoughts and times with you. Lord, I just pray for every person here. I pray for our time of fellowship coming up as well. Lord, may we share with one another in your name and in your love. In Jesus' name, amen.